Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you are new to Covenant, uh, one thing you, you may not know yet is that one of the things that we value as a church is church planting. So what that means is that uh, we, we see that one of the ways that we can best love our city is uh, by starting new churches in particular neighborhoods across the city uh, that identify with the neighborhoods that they're in and they go deep. They go deep in investment and sacrifice and love uh, in the particular places that they're at. So we did that once uh, in the Lincoln Square neighborhood, and we're, we're in the process of, of doing that again in the Austin Oak Park area on the western edge of the city. I'm a part of the, uh, the team uh, from Covenant that's doing that. Um, we'll actually have a little update um, later in the service where I'll, I'll give you some, some updates about what's going on. Um, but I wanted to let you know that at, at this church plant, and we, we now have a name, uh, Boulevard uh, Presbyterian Church. So at Boulevard, uh, this summer, before we start our weekly worship in the fall, this summer we're meeting once a month. And every time we, we gather together for worship, uh, for our sermons, we're asking the question, who is the church? So it seems like a, a good question uh, for a young congregation that's trying to get its footing uh, to be asking. And to answer that, we're looking at how the Apostle Paul describes the church in the first half of the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians 1 to 3 is one of those places in Scripture that really focuses on the identity of the church. And Paul says all sorts of things about the church there. But this morning, I want to look with you at one of the passages we've looked at this summer at Boulevard. It's the, the last half of chapter 1. And it's where Paul is in particular describing the church as the empowered body of Christ. And I'm going to read, uh, starting in verse 15, uh, I should let you know before I get reading this, uh, the, the whole passage that we're reading is actually a prayer uh, that Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. Um, and he, it takes until verse 19 that he gets to the topic of power, but he, he builds to that topic while giving thanks for the prayer and while asking in particular that God give them eyes to see things about God. And then the thing that he particularly focuses on is God's power. Um, the fact that I just summed that up took about five minutes out of the sermon. Um, <laughs> that's good news for us today. All right, so Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Before we talk about this passage, let me pray for us. Father, what I want to pray is what Paul prays in this passage for the church in Ephesus that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts in the knowledge of you. And I want to pray that for 
each one of us this morning, no matter uh, where we're at uh, with respect to you, uh, no matter what kind of mornings or weeks that we've had, I pray that you would give us sight of your son and that you would grow our faith in him and our love for one another. I pray this through him. Amen. One of the coolest aspects of hanging out with toddlers, uh, at least for me, is uh, to be able to see them discover the power of their own bodies. So uh, these days I get a lot of toddler hangout time uh, because we have one that lives in our house. Um, our son Zachary just turned two years old. And as is typical of uh, kids his age, he has in the past year made all sorts of strides in discovering the power of his own body. So, for example, he's discovered that the power of his body can transport him from one side of our house to the other in the matter of a few seconds. He's uh, discovered the power of his body in being able to push uh, air across his vocal cords and to form his, his lips and his tongue in such a way as to say chocolate. And he's discovered that if he does that with enough uh, cute insistence, that somehow almost magically it is typically delivered right to him. Uh, he's also discovered when that tactic doesn't work, uh, that he has power in his body to grab a chair from the kitchen table, to push it across the room, uh, climb up on it onto the countertop, open up the cabinet door, and get chocolate for himself. Now, uh, as is uh, the case with many toddlers, a lot of Zachary's feats are lovely, and a lot of them are also terrifying. So, for example, we... Uh, have uh, in the gang at the front of our gangway on the street side a, a chain-linked gate uh, with a latch that, that keeps it closed, typically. And that's been great for us because it means that we can let uh, Zachary play in the gangway and in the backyard without worrying about him encountering a moving vehicle, up until a few weeks ago. So I uh, was hanging out with Zachary uh, in the backyard. I, uh, he went into the gangway, and I was doing some work in the backyard, and for, I think it was less than a minute, I uh, had him out of my sight. I go into the gangway to check on him and discover that he is at that point on the other side of that gate, and the gate is shut and locked. Uh, it was terrifying for a moment, but uh, long story short, nothing happened. He was fine. Um, and I later watched how he did it. So he, uh, he goes up to the gate, he climbs up it, he swings open the latch, he hangs on and rides it open as it swings out. I don't know why he needs to do that, but it's fun at least. Climbs back down, goes to the other side, pushes it shut, climbs back up, latches it, and then makes a beeline for the street. Um, he's repeated this many times. It's uh, an amazing discovery of the power of what his body can do. It means freedom uh, for this little two-year-old. Now, what a toddler discovers uh, in all of this is that to have a body is to have power in our world. Right? Having a body means that you can do things. It means that you can affect things. Imagine with me the, the counterfactual if, if we didn't have bodies, right? If we were just maybe floating spirits, we would not be able to move things around. We couldn't build homes to live in. We couldn't cultivate land uh, to grow stuff in. We couldn't uh, pet dogs. We couldn't uh, send sound waves to communicate high another person. We couldn't see or touch another person in the ways that we can do all that stuff because we have bodies. Now, to know what to be able to do with our, to know what we can do with our bodies and what we ought to do with our bodies 
It's one of those fundamental aspects of coming to understand what it means to be human in our world. It's something we start learning in our womb. Uh, and we, it's something we continue in the process of learning up until the point when our bodies die. Now, I mention all this up front here because in the passage we just read, Paul is telling the church in Ephesus that the church is like a body. And he wants them to come to understand better what is the, the power of that body, what can it do, and what ought it to do in the world. And his big point is look to the power of Jesus' body if you want to know what the power in the church can and ought to do. And if you get that, you get who the church is. Now, as I mentioned, Paul builds up in his prayer to this, this big focus on power. And by the time he gets to verse 19 and, and introduces the topic, he in, immediately piles up four different synonyms in, in the original Greek to describe this power. It's a little hard maybe to get that in English, but I'll, I'll point it out. He says, the immeasurable greatness of his power, that's the first, toward us who believe according to the working, that's a second, of his great or strong, that's a third, might. It's like the language that Paul uses, he's, he's struggling and he has to get redundant and verbose even to give a hint of how the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Now imagine with me if you wanted to display your great power, how might you do that? Or think about how do the powerful in our world, how do they display their own power? And then imagine how might God himself display the immeasurable greatness of his own power. Now, what I first think of when I, I try to enter into those thought experiments is I imagine the spectacular. I would imagine that if God were wanting to exploit, uh, to display the immeasurable greatness of his power, it would be something like this, the biggest fireworks show the earth has ever seen. It would actually be like launched in space and the entire globe could see it from there and it would be so loud it would cause earthquakes to happen, the ground would rumble and mountains would shake and tidal waves would be sweeping around the globe. Something like that would be a fitting way to show an immeasurable greatness of power. But as Paul is saying, as he's praying for the Ephesians here, the greatest display of God's power that he has given us is what? It's when he raised Jesus' dead body. Now, how could that be the greatest display of divine power? Well, in the way that God has designed the world to work, raising Jesus' dead human body is the greatest display of God's power because it signals a new kingdom. Listen to how Paul continues. God seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. You see, in the beginning, at creation, God designed that his image bearers would be the one who, who carried out and represented his power in the world, that we, humanity, would, would be the ones entrusted to cultivate and to care for this world. And I don't have to tell you the story of uh, how that went, uh, but basically we abused that power. And ever since, there, since then, human power as we know it in our fallen world has been something that is corrupt and frustrated. 
But when God raised Jesus, the human, from the dead, from the corruption and frustration of power, and when he raised him from that corrupt power and gave him power over all things as a human, it signaled that God had actually not given up on that original plan, that there was a new kingdom he was bringing in, a new type of humanity, a new way for human power to be at work in caring for the world. It was a power of renewal. And it was starting simply with the raising of Jesus' dead body from the grave, but extending beyond there to the renewal of all of his sisters and brothers, and on and on to every area of our lives and every square inch of the creation. This, friends, is the immeasurably great power of God. And Paul prays for the church that we would have eyes to see it and eyes for that to be the real power that we see at work in the church and in our lives and in the world. And that's not all that Paul says about it. He goes on that God put all things under Jesus' feet. He gave him as head over all things to the church. In other words, for the benefit of the church. And why? Because, as Paul says, the church is his body. It's the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, in those few brief words that Paul uses to describe the church, there's, there's more depth of mystery than we could, could ever plumb and fully describe in a lifetime of exploration. It's like the church is, is set up to be a toddler, <laughs> exploring the, the capability of the body, Ex- exploring what it means to be so bound to Jesus that we are his body and his power, the power that raised him, is in full operation in our midst. But I want to highlight just a couple of aspects of this that we in particular need the spirit of wisdom and understanding to make real to us. And the first one's this. We need to know that an immeasurably great power is at work in the church. We need to know that an immeasurably great power is at work in the church. As Paul has said, it's the power that rose Jesus from the dead, that that is the one at work in and through the church. And what that means for a church like that ancient church in Ephesus, what it means for Covenant Presbyterian Church, what it means for our church plant Boulevard and all of us, is that a humble group of broken sinners who struggle with things like doubt and selfishness and relationships and so on, that a group like ours can and should have a vision that is way bigger than us. A few weeks ago, I was at a a meeting at the Westside Health Authority. It's a nonprofit uh, based in the Austin community on the west side of Chicago. Um, and that particular meeting was about ways that Austin residents and Oak Park residents could be good neighbors to each other. And uh, at the beginning of the meeting, uh, every, there was a time when everyone kind of stood up and shared who they were. And one of the things I, I said about myself was that I was a pastor of this new church uh, that was starting this fall. And that the vision that we had as a church was this. The Austin Oak Park community renewed socially, spiritually, and culturally by the grace of Christ. So that's a big vision. Uh, as soon as I, I shared that vision, um, 
I said immediately that, and, you know, we have this big vision, but we're not coming to the table with all the answers. We're not coming to the table with the plan uh, that's going to accomplish these visions. We, we realize that we ourselves are actually part of the problem. And first and foremost, one of the things we have to do is be learners in all of this. And I have to tell you, when I said all that stuff, it got a hearty amen from that room. And that's because everyone knows it's true, right? We do not, in, in, in our lives or in church or in really any substantial area of life, come to the table as the experts with the plan as to how to make it all right. We come as part of the problem ourselves. So that got a hearty amen, but I went on to explain that we as a church do have that vision for our community because we believe that the grace of Christ has power to do it and that this is something that God himself has promised us he has set his scopes on for the Austin Oak Park community and every community around the globe. And I have to say, at least for that particular crowd at that meeting, that also got a hearty amen. You see, the power that rose Jesus from the dead is the power that is at work in and through the church to do the work of Jesus. It's a power that does what we cannot do. That means when we think about what the church does, it's not the sum of its parts. It's not like we add up, you know, all the people who are here together and all the things that we bring to the table. And when we add that all up, that is what we can do. No, what the church can do is what the power of Jesus can do through his own body. And that means that a church needs to have a vision bigger than itself. It needs to have a vision and a hope for what God is accomplishing through the church that extends as far as the reign and power of Christ extend to every square inch of the globe and to every square inch of our lives. Now, that does not mean that we suddenly, as part of the church, become conjurers or magicians. It doesn't mean that God enables us to do all these tricks. It doesn't mean that God's going to open every door we knock on. It doesn't mean the church is going to have an easy go at it. And that's why we need uh, the second thing I want to leave you with, something we need the Spirit to make real to us. We need to know that the immeasurably great power of God works in our weakness. The power of God doesn't work in the ways that we might hope or expect. And there's no better example of that than I know than the cross. The place where Jesus himself gave up his power and actually submitted himself to the unjust and oppressive powers of our world for the sake of love. He submitted himself to those powers, and that is why God exalted him and gave him power over every other power. And when it goes for Jesus and his power, goes also for his body, the church. It is at those points where there seems to be no power in the church or in our lives. It's at those particular points where it seems more like a cross, at those points of suffering and sacrifice, and weakness, that God's power is at work most powerfully in the church. Now think with me what that message must have meant for that ancient church in Ephesus. Now the city of Ephesus was itself a seat of power. I don't know if, uh, I know some of you have actually been 
to uh, Ephesus. It's in the western coast of Turkey. I, I've been there myself. It, um, today you can only see the ruins of that ancient city. But let me tell you, those ruins themselves are impressive. You get to see the harbor where the ships would come in for trading and the, the great and vast agora, the markets, where that city would trade and where it would get all of its wealth. You see beautiful homes lining, lining the hillsides of the town. This amazing library, multiple theaters, one of which could seat 25,000 people. You see that the town is, is filled with temples, one of which is gigantic, the, uh, the temple to the god Artemis. It's actually listed as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so even seeing just the t- ruins of ancient Ephesus, you get a sense that in every way, politically, culturally, financially, religiously, Ephesus was filled with power. But the little ancient church that was in Ephesus shared in none of that. It was a marginalized group, and anyone who would look at it would say that with full expectation, (laughs) that group's not going to make it very long. You could see how it might be tempting for the Ephesian Christians themselves to, to think yeah, the Christian gospel, it, it is good news. It's nice. But in reality, in Ephesus, it is not the power that's going to win the day. And friends, I think it can be easy for me and maybe for you too to think the same too. That, yeah, the Christian gospel is, is nice, but in reality, in my life, in Chicago, in this world that we live in, It is not the power that's going to win the day. It's tempting to think it might be the power of politics that's going to win the day. Or it's economics that will win the day. It's whether or not I will have enough money at the end of the month to pay for rent and my food that's going to win the day. It's my health that's going to win the day. It's violence or death that's going to win the day. It's a struggle I have with a particular sin in my life that's going to win the day. It's however things are going at work or at school or at home that's going to win the day. And in those moments when we are tempted to look to all those powers and say, in reality, those are the things that are going to win the day, that's when we most need Paul's prayer for the church, that the eyes of our hearts would be open to the reality that it is the power that rose Jesus from the dead that is going to win the day. That is the power that renewed his own body and gave him all authority in heaven and on earth. That is going to win the day. And then in whatever obstacle and struggle and weakness and sin you face as individuals, in whatever it is that the church herself is facing, in whatever our communities and neighborhoods face, that at the end of the day, in reality, It is going to be the power that raised Jesus from the dead that is going to win the day. That is what Scripture calls the good news, because the one who wins the day is good. He's able to meet us in all the ways we need it, to forgive and to make new, just as he was made new in his own resurrection. So let's turn to him now in prayer. Father, open the eyes of our heart to see this reality of King Jesus and restore constantly our hope in him that 
we would continually grow in faith in him and in love for each other and our neighbor. We ask this through him. Amen.